Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of the Lunatic Fringe podcast and a special guest on the other side. Please, straight to it. Who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is Kim Emmons Nor. Emmons being my maiden name, and I'll tell you about that later. Please. <laughs> <laughs> and what I've been doing is um, I've been skydiving since 1959. And so I've had, you know, I had a 37-year hiatus, you might call it. And then I got back into it again and so forth. And now the children are all raised. The grandchildren are raised into their 20s now. So it's time for me to have my fun and do all the things that I put on the back burner. Nice. Yes, I'm trying to finish. I um, need about 414 jumps to get my thousand for my gold wings. That's That's my goal now. That's spectacular. (laughs) Now, uh, you say you started jumping in 1959. Wow. You've been at this a while. Yeah, I was 20 years old and I got the opportunity listening. to That was just the beginning when they were starting little clubs, you know. Sure. And and, um, yeah, and I heard overheard some uh, um, special forces guys that were in reserves. They'd just gone into reserves and they said, well, we got to find a pilot to fly us. You know, there are two or three of them wanted to get together. This was in Chicago in a drugstore. Okay. And so I said, oh, I said, is this just for military guys or can I jump too? You know, is this for civilians? They said, well, yeah, why don't you come out and see what it's all about? So. Wow. Now, (laughs) I mean, this is this is back when um, skydiving was still very um, military in in, uh, most of the stuff. Right. I mean, the clubs were, as you said, just getting started. So was it were you intimidated uh, to get started back then? As, as a woman and 20 years old, I mean, at a whole different time in the world, jumping out of airplanes was not what was expected of a 20-year-old girl. Well, no. Sometimes society expects things that aren't necessarily a part of my life, you know. Absolutely. But um, I had been wanting to jump since I was six years old, so. Really? What sparked you know, the interest? the opportunity. Um, my uncle came back from flight school, and um, this, he got... He got finished with his flight school at the end of the war, so he never got sent anywhere. So he came home and said, now what do I do? And um, he was a strapping young guy that, oh, my gosh, I just drooled over him. Six years <laughs> old and said, would you marry me when I grow up? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he brought home a canopy because he had to jump. Um, I, I'm sure you probably know about the. Uh, you know, when you have to jump to save your life. Sure, bailing out. You caterpillar. Bet. Well, the Caterpillar jumped club, oh, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he did that twice. But the second time, his um, canopy caught on the tail of the plane and it ripped it. So they let him take it home for a souvenir. Nice. And he yeah. brought this back to, to a six-year-old that decided that a torn Cadillac, parachute. Cadillac, Michigan. Yep. Right in Cadillac, Michigan. And then, you know, we had a house full because there were six in our family already and so i said he can use my bedroom and so i had a little tiny walk-in closet and so he used my bedroom and i slept wrapped up in his parachute wow yeah thinking about my day i mean the daydream starts at six years old but was this something that was actively on your mind all the way up until you were 20 or, or did it just all come flooding back when you overheard them um, no, it was on my mind all along because then he talked my dad into buying an airplane. And um, so he had an airplane and then he got a pontoon airplane so he could go in. We went camping. You know, he'd fly in to see us and land on lakes and stuff like that. We used to go up in Canada, way out in the woods. The Indians had to take us out there. Oh, wow. But um, yeah, you know, my dad was very adventurous. <laughs> and so. <laughs> Anyway, uh, every time I go up flying with my dad, this is going into 10, 11, 12 years old, um, we had to wear seat packs. And so I was trying to figure out a way that I could accidentally fall out the door. <laughs> and so, you know, I'd sort of leave it unlatched when we were leaving the, the runway. <laughs> and it never worked, unfortunately. I didn't know I had to push that much harder. Sure. And, <laughs> but I always knew I had to have enough altitude to get that thing open. But Anyway, that was my. Your father must have been a basket case every time he got in the plane with you. 
Well, yeah, I don't think he knew what I was trying to do. He said, oh, you, you didn't latch that door again. So finally, he came around and made sure it was closed before we left. So <laughs> you grow up with aviation and, and some pretty exciting stuff, stuff that certainly for the time would have been considered extreme uh, by most standards. And then 20 years old rolls around. Did you go to your family and say, hey, I'm going to go jump out of this airplane? Or did you surprise them after the fact? No, I surprised him after the fact. Actually, I went and when I graduated high school, I went to Michigan State and um, changed my major four times that, in one year as a <laughs> freshman. But I had a lot of fun, too. On the, I, on the side, since I didn't know why I was there other than I have to go to classes and do things. So, um, you know, I got to the point by the end of the year, I was leaving with my boyfriend who's from New York. And so we'd take a long weekend. We'd leave on Wednesday night and go to New York for the weekend, you know. And Dad says, "You're not, you're not going to do this anymore." He said, um, "You're on probation right now at Michigan State." He said, "We're going to move you closer to home at Central Michigan." So I went there, got my grades back up, and did did the do. Right. And then I said, "I don't have a major still. I don't know. I I've changed it so many times. I really don't." know what I'm going to do. And so I'm going to go to Chicago because I had some friends from high school that were living in Chicago, working for United Airlines. So I said, I'm going to do that. He said, no, you're not. He said, you're not working for the airlines. And I said, well, I'm going to Chicago one way or another. And so, um, you know, by that time I was 20 years old. Mm. You know, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anyway, he, he talked to his friend in Chicago and got me a job at Sears and the Sears uh, catalog department out in the western part of Chicago. Sears catalog. I'm old enough to remember Sears catalog, but I yeah. guarantee there's a lot of people listening that have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. So I worked there, you know, for a while and, and that, then I was living on the north side of Chicago and um and that's where I met these guys in the drugstore. You know, I was just go hanging out because the guy that worked the he he was on reserves. He'd just gotten home and his family owned the drugstore and about six kids all worked in the drugstore. And he was really cute. So I'd <laughs> hang out flirt with him. And here comes his buddies, you know. So that's how it all got started. You know, it's uh, um, it's funny that so many of the guests that I've had on their start in skydiving had some desire that was younger in their life, but it was some random events that brought them back to it. And this seems to be no exception. Very random. And cor of course, bumping into guys in the drugstore to to go out and, and make a jump in 1959. Right, right. When it was just really starting. I mean, you, you got to remember the um, the American team the american skydivers or people that were in parachuting at all didn't even have people to send to world championships or anything until i think it was 56 was the first time and then 58 and 60 and um but there weren't many females there were females in the foreign countries but not here sure and so i jumped for two years before i jumped to the, the first time i jumped with another girl that's, I mean, you're kind of one of the pioneers of it, really. I mean, this is this is the original <laughs> stuff. How was that yeah. first jump? What was it like? Oh, it was wonderful. You know, I got out of the plane and got out on the strut and the wheel and, you know, little 172. And and um, we didn't have a static line, unfortunately. My logbooks say I did static line jumps, but we didn't have one, so... <laughs> He said, well, you're not going to get licensed if we don't put that in there, you know. So I said, okay, whatever. Do what you have to do. And so <laughs> um, he reached over and pulled the ripcord for me. So it was sort of like a, a hop and pop. Okay. Or a pop, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he did one or two of those. And then I said, well, I can do that. You don't have to do that, you know. So <laughs> I did from then on. But uh, that first one... Um, it wasn't me. It was the canopy that took the power lines down. You know, I cleared the power lines, but the canopy pulled down a lot of power lines. So <laughs> your very first, jump, first you, jump, you end up taking power lines out. Yeah. And I said, let's hurry up and pack fast and do another jump and get <laughs> out of here before they know 
who did that? <laughs> so, so when you're going out to make this first jump, obviously you've been waiting a long time, but I remember waiting quite some time before I got to make my first jump after I had decided I wanted to, and I still had to deal with a pretty healthy dose of fear. Was there any fear for you or was it just raw excitement? No, it was just, yeah, just I finally, finally get to do it. Oh boy. You know, this is it. <laughs> And well, when I when I uh, went out to the drop zone where they wasn't even called a drop zone, when I went to the airport where we had a pilot that would fly, there were three guys in the club by that time. And then the fourth one came along and uh, only me and the um, original guy, Jimmy Stoyos, was the guy that at the drugstore that he showed me how to pack. So for the next two or three months, all I was doing was packing shoots for them. Sure. And finally, I said, that's it. Oh, and we were modifying shoots because we were going down to Fort Bragg and getting army surplus from World War II. Sure. And bring those canopies back to Chicago and find out what the, at that time, they were the STRAC team, you know, at Fort Bragg. Sure. And then they became the uh, General Stillwell actually got the financing and everything to get a United States Army demonstration team and he signed my logbook then too he has a b license he did you know? <laughs> it's <laughs> anyway it's really cool but um anyway i went i went through that thing of learning how to pack and everything and and then we'd drive down there and see what they're doing for modifications and since i already knew how to sew i sewing my own clothes anyway so i started sewing you know we'd cut panels out and sew them and get you know put some hem tape on there and, and uh, then we were we were using the modifications every few months that the guys in Fort Bragg were you know experimenting and doing and developing that at that time 70U sure. what we ended up with in 62 so, I mean, you basically start out, you do two jumps in your first day because you want to get another one done so nobody catches you taking the power yeah, lines out. Yeah, get out of there quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just kind of badass. <laughs> and then <laughs> you end up straight into packing and what would now be called rigging. Yeah. Well, I did everything that I needed to do. Actually, in 1962, there was a guy that was a master rigger for... Um, Shaka Stell in Orange, Massachusetts. That's where the world championships were that I jumped in. And um, anyway, I spent a lot of time with the master rigger there as Bill Jolly. And he said, all you have to do at this point is just take the written exam. And I said, well, I don't know if I want to be the master rigger because People have told me that everybody comes to you with their shoots and their problems and everything. And I said, I'm only interested in competing. Right. I'm a competitor. On my 30th jump, I started competing. So why would I want to get into rigging? So I said, at least I know what to do with my own equipment. Sure. So now by this time, you're you say you're you're starting to compete at 30 jumps. You've been packing parachutes and you're rigging. I'm assuming the family now knows that you're jumping out of airplanes, or do they not? Yeah, you know, that's really weird. My mom has this, this, um, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's some kind of a communication that she knows whenever I needed anything or whenever I was, you know, contemplating or hurt or something, I would get a telephone call from her. And I said, <laughs> I don't know how she does this. You know, it's mental telepathy, I guess, or something. Sure. But she called one day and, you know, I was living in Chicago. This is before cell phones, you know, and she called the apartment in the middle of the day on a Wednesday. And I said, oh, my gosh. And she said, well, I figured you would answer the phone. And I said, how did you know that? And she said, well, you're home from work. Something happened. And I said, how do you know that? No, nothing happened. Everything's fine. <laughs> and anyway, it turned out I had a bad landing on Sunday and I went to work Monday and Tuesday. And by Wednesday, I said, I really, really have to recover you know and go sure. home so, i mean this is again it, it was a really different time so were you nervous that your family would find out were you nervous to tell your mom that you were jumping out of airplanes i mean that's big deal. well no that day when she called i was actually very happy to hear from her because i had landed i had opened my reserve and, and those are called belly warts you know the yeah reserves and so forth and nobody told me to put my arms through the lines so that you're more vertical when you're landing 
And it was a very, very icy, cold day in January. Oh. And I landed at sort of the end of January. So the sun had come out. and it, There was ice anyway on the ground. And I landed on my pelvis, you know, because you're coming down, laying down, actually. Sure. And I landed there. We're supposed to go night skiing that night. So I said, oh, man, that hurt. And they said, let me help you up. Let me help you up. So they ran over and you know how that is. You And I got up and everything was fine. I said, man, that really, really hurt. And they said, well, you're not going to go skiing to I said, well, we're all going skiing. I don't have a ride back to Chicago if we don't, if I don't go skiing. I've got my equipment with me. So I said, you guys go do your skiing, do all the blacks and blues or whatever you want to do. I'm just going to stay on the little beginner's hill and be very careful not to fall. And so that was it. Well, that Wednesday that I was home, I had gone in for an x-ray to find out how bad the damage was because it really hurt to to walk or to get dressed or to run to catch the bus. I fell down, you know, tried to go to work. Oof. And it, it turned out I shattered my pelvis and that oh jump. Lord. And so he said, your pelvis looks like a map of the United States with all the country roads on it. But he said, it's all intact. So you just can't jump don't walk fast don't run don't do anything just very slowly make your way wherever you have to go and try to stay off stairs as much as you can use elevators so he said, <laughs> he said in about six weeks you'll feel a lot better and he said in six to eight weeks and he said wait a little while i looked at my logbooks the other day and it was six weeks and one day when I made my next jump. <laughs> <laughs> you break your pelvis on a jump. You, in true skydiver fashion, go skiing that day and then work for a couple of days before you get it checked out. Of course, as skydivers do. I just and think then, it'll be better. <laughs> and then six weeks later, you're jumping back out of an airplane. I'd like to say that the um, skydiving throughout all the generations that we've learned something, but none of us have because I've done the same thing. And most of the jumpers I know have. I know. And they know this is what happened to me, but it doesn't matter. You know, it is what it is. So you're sitting there having a conversation with your mom who's used telepathy to figure out she needs to call you because she knows somehow that you're hurt. And now you're not only explaining to her that you're a skydiver, but that you're injured. And she took it yeah. well. Well, she said, oh, my goodness, I, I figured you were doing something like that. I mean, she knew me very well. Sure. Because the whole growing up, I always would go do my own thing or push to get this. Done. There weren't any skiers in the family, so I wanted to be a downhill skier. And I did. And I, you know, I had to join the club and everything. So that was like my Christmas presents and stuff like that. Sure. But she knew she knew something. And I think she suspected something was going on because otherwise she would have heard from me more frequently. <laughs> <laughs> she figured you were into something. But I had only been jumping. At, well, I started jumping in December. That was when we knocked the power line. I knocked the power lines out of my canopy. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that was the uh, 13th of December so in Chicago. And so when the power went out, a lot of people were very cold, I think, that day. <laughs> <laughs> That's spectacular. That's yeah. not, so mean... this was in January, probably the end of January. I can't remember the, what the date was. But anyway, so I had only been jumping about six weeks. Mm. She didn't and... know about so you heal, you start jumping again, you're packing parachutes, doing all this kind of stuff, and then you start to compete. So tell me how that came about. Yeah, well, in those days, we had to throw a wind streamer to find yep. out, you know, because because of the parachutes we're using, you have to go where the wind takes you. You didn't have much steerability, a little bit, but not much. And um, so anyway, I was good at getting right directly over the airport or the whatever we had down there and um, dropping the wind streamer and projecting where we're going to exit. And so he said, you know, you, you, we don't have any women's team. We barely have a men's team now for world championships. But he said, you know, there were two individual women's that went in women that went in the past but there was never a team put together. Mm. So he said, you got to start competing. We need more females and we need competition females. 
And so I said, oh, okay. And we, we had, we were in Chicago and that was the only operation that was in Chicago. I was the number five in the club. Yeah. So they let me join the club as number five. <laughs> and so anyway, um, they, they did have competition in Iowa and Jim Garrison was out in Oklahoma or um, Kansas City is where he was. And he was starting to do competitions and everything. And in fact, some friend a couple of years ago was out there. They were auctioning off, I think, all of his stuff after he died and so forth. So he was out there and he got one of the um, the catalogs. And that wasn't a catalog. It was a program mm. from the second national no the second annual competition of skydiving whatever the name of it was and um so he said oh my gosh he said i was looking at the competitors who they were and it said your name kim emmons and it said behind in parentheses only female <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we had to go we had to go from chicago to kansas city or to Des Moines, Iowa, or to Cal, uh, no, see, where else was it? Another place in Iowa we went frequently and, you know, for competition, but there's nothing near. Sure. So, so, I mean, while all this is going on, I mean, you've, you've seen all these changes throughout the years with skydiving. What was it like with the clubs and stuff? Cause now obviously um, there's been, the bonfires have grown and the parties have grown and the culture has grown, but you were there for the beginning of it. So, I mean, was it, was it a whole lifestyle as well? When you left the drop zone, did you stay with the jumpers or was it a day of jumping and then you'd head on home? Well, no, we, like I said, we went skiing in the winter time yeah. after we're done jumping. And um, then we'd usually have dinner together and then everybody go home. And, you know, the people that were in that little group that I was with in Chicago, um, they were all from Chicago. So, you know, we ate somewhere out. Before. We didn't go into Chicago and have dinner and, and mm. everything there. We usually eat out in the little towns where we were. And um, we were in, in charge or in communication with each other um, a lot during the week. Nice, you know, talking about the weather and who's going to be any any more friends. Anybody going to bring friends out to the airport? You know, we'd sort of plan out what's going to happen on the weekend. Sure. And so it was a very tight little group, just like you know, some of the drop zones are that way. I was just in the Midwest this past summer and visiting a lot of um, two large drop zones and a lot of small drop zones, and. Um, there's that same club feeling. Sure. I even went to Lincoln, which is still a skydiving club. And um, they're, they're still very, very close together. And they you know, the regulars that show up every weekend and everything. And, you know, like now in their Facebook, they communicate about the weather and, well, sure. you know, maybe it'll clear up by one o'clock. We'll go out there and so forth. So, and that's the way it always was then, you know, now we have these, like you say, big centers, like what happened in Dubai, you know? Yeah. 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 Go, becoming a, a, a huge drop zone and extremely busy with tandems and stuff. It's funny mm -hmm. that you say, I mean, I don't think a lot has changed in that, that tight knit feel. I think the club just got a hell of a lot bigger. Bigger. I, yeah. Cause and sure, there's you, more of them. Yeah. I mean, here you and I sit talking and, and you're in the States and I'm in Finland. We've never met before, but we were no. introduced by a fellow skydiver. It's just part of that big club, right? That's exactly right. And everybody knows like, you know, the, this is just a little sidebar maybe. Um, when I met my, when I re-met my husband. Oh, I got to hear this story, married. please. Yeah. Okay. Um, Anyway, just to tell you about, this was in 1962. Mm -hmm. And at that time when I remet, he, he was the guy that defected during the 1962 World Championships. Okay. And he was from Yugoslavia. And at the end of the, the um, ceremony of, the, at the end of the ceremony when they passed out all the awards and the trophies and all that kind of stuff, we were marching out of the 
the bowl that they had built for this event. And uh, United States and USSR and Yugoslavia are all at the end of the alphabetic. So they're coming out of it. And it was in August, it was really hot and everything. But at the end of that meet is when he defected. And the last thing in my mind is who's doing, who's going to defect or we knew there was a guy from Russia, but he got caught in Boston, you know, and so, and I didn't know anything about my husband, Milan, that he was even doing that. And so it's a long story how it all occurred and why he decided to do that. But anyway, um, I was just interested. I, I had a $5 bill in my pocket right. and I had to get home back to Michigan. I had no way to get home. And my parents had been out there to see the championships, but they were weathered out so much it was delayed. And, and so they went home and they took my, a lot of my equipment home with them, but I still had my parachute stuff, my kit bag and a backpack of clothes. And that was it. And so uh, I was so concerned about not having to go on the highway and hitchhike. You know, I'm trying to find somebody out of this whole group that could get me to Michigan. Sure. And so I did find that and I did get back. That's another whole story. It's funny. <laughs> anyway, um, so after that time, for four years, we didn't see each other at all. And I didn't really know exactly where he was. And he didn't know because I was here and there in, in California and then back in Michigan. I opened a contact lens company and then and, and, and did a bunch of stuff. And then uh, he said later, he said, uh, yeah, at one point I thought you were killed. Everybody said, no, nobody knew where I was or anything. I had sold everything and gone to Europe as a parachute bomb for a year. Wow. So <laughs> nobody, I wasn't communicating with anybody. You know? Yeah, this is this is pre-Facebook, so you're not posting that you're in Europe jumping. <laughs> that's right, that's right, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, bottom line is um, yeah, one of our friends that was working for he, he was an old, one of the old army skydivers, you know, that I knew from the army team and which became the Golden Knights and everything. And I was working in Washington, D.C. and I went out to jump and uh, he, there he was at the airport. And I said, what are you doing here? I thought you're in Vietnam. He said, I did two tours over there and now I'm out. And uh, I said, well, what are you doing here? What are you, you know, he said, well, I'm working. And I said, working at what? And he said, well, the company. I said, oh, the company. Oh, okay. And um, never asked him anything more about it. It just, you know, the company. The, the company? Oh, as, I, as I stayed around, Langley's the home office of the company. <laughs> so, oh, my God. So, anyway. all right. So for, for maybe some of the, the younger kids that are listening that uh, either haven't watched enough movies like I have, the, the <laughs> company, I know exactly what you mean by the company, but so your husband defected from Yugoslavia. You yeah. knew him, lost touch with him. He obviously became a citizen, went and, and fought in Vietnam for the United States and ended up working oh, for- No, 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 my no. That was my husband. No, that was the guy I met out when I started jumping in. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, I got, I got ahead of myself. No, 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 no. okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, the uh, drop zone where I found the closest one into Washington where I was working, doing contact lenses again. Right. Um, yeah, the um, closest drop zone was um, where they had their, and, and I didn't know it. I just went out there and started jumping, and I kept seeing these guys from the Army team and so forth that were showing up, and they're all working for the company. And I said, oh, my gosh, that's really weird. Many years later, actually, just about uh, eight years ago, with the DNA thing and all that kind of thing, I sure. found a cousin that... I signed her logbook and we were both jumping on the same load and she was working for the company too. Oh. I didn't even know. Nobody knew anything then, you know, we just want to jump. Who cares? You know, so, how, how anyway. funny is that? Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of funny because I suppose that's the same as it's been now. It's such a, the skydiving has always been such a blending of cultures from exactly from cops to criminals and i love that you keep saying the company so the cia in the 60s and you're out there skydiving with a bunch of cia people exactly that's what it was <laughs> and so it turned out that this guy that i knew really well and we started going to concerts together and stuff like that and he said uh he called me up one day and he said oh gosh he said you've got to go down and he said what are you doing tonight and i said 
nothing, of course. Um, and he said, well, I have to go out to Langley. And he said, I just picked up some people from Pioneer uh, Parachute Company. They were doing some testing and stuff up in Baltimore. They got fogged in. And um, so I drove them down to Washington because you can always get out of Washington. Put them in a hotel right there by the, you know. Actually, my my apartment was right at the same area. Oh, it wow. was, I could see I could see the airport, which is, what do they call the Washington airport now? Dulles? Um, no, no, no. Um, that, that's up in Baltimore, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not really sure, to be honest. Uh, let me turn this. Sorry. Sure. No, no, that's okay. Anyway, um, yeah. Anyway, the, the Washington airport right there, I think they call it, is it Reagan airport now? Or I don't know what it is. So. Mm. But anyway, they wanted me to go down to um, Mr. Smith's, which is a restaurant where they all hang out. They were, I've been there with that all that group that I jumped with. You know? sure. And so they go, they took him down to Mr. Smith's and he said, uh, they're down there and I want you to go down and keep them company. And if I don't show up by 10 o'clock, that means I went to Langley, I'm gone. But you have to get them back to the hotel on the plane in the morning back to <laughs> Connecticut. And I said, oh, okay. I said, who am I looking for? What's the names? And he said, never mind. He said, they know who you are. There's not that many females jumping. Just, just go down there and they know who you are. And I've got to go click. And he hung up. And when I got down there, Milan, the guy that defected way back four years ago, <laughs> was there and within three months we were married <laughs> that's spec that's so much better than i thought it was going to be <laughs> well and the reason the reason that that um he knew about us was because um you know the the, the guy that i'm talking about that was the jumper was, was squeak charat you know he's one of the original guys for the army team so. So anyway, he knew that we knew each other. He knew the whole thing. Oh, wow. And he knew that we had been looking for each other because that's what his job is. You know, sure. Know what Every well, time so he would show up at a drop zone with his suitcase and so forth, Milan would say, oh, Squeak, you're here again. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like a so very informal. <laughs> you're jumping in the 60s. Um, you're now, you've just re-met up with your, uh, Yugoslavian defector who becomes your husband. You're jumping with the CIA and it's the sixties. Th there's a lot yeah. going on. <laughs> I know it was really weird, you know, because during the, the sixties also was cold war. Yeah. So I had just come back from Europe. I mean, the reason I had the job in Washington is I was in Europe having a wonderful time you know, jumping all over the place. I went to like 30 different countries and everything. And uh, I came back because my mom called and said, you know, I've got carpal tunnel surgery in both my wrists. It's Christmas. You've got to come back. you mm. got to come help me. No, 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 no. I say, I've got two sisters. No, no. She said, you have to come back. You're the only one that can do this with me and to help me get through Christmas. And so I said, okay. She said, I'll buy you a ticket to go back. Well, when I got home, I found out that, like in Germany, it was four marks to a dollar. Mm. I mean, I could make a lot of dollars in the next six months and then let her buy me a ticket to go back. Sure. So I took this job in Washington, you know, a contact lens job. And uh, so that's why I happened to be there. And uh, so <laughs> it was really funny because I was smuggling while I was in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> you were smuggling? Oh. smuggling it is the cold war and i'm smuggling switch switchblades to some of the eastern european countries that wanted you know they have they have army they have those big hunting knives on the reserve to cut a line or whatever sure and they wanted switchblades well i was in germany you know switchblades is and steals the best so i went and bought a whole bunch of switchblades and i packed them in my parachute uh Oh, you know? holy, sh <laughs> holy shit kim <laughs> <That worked>. <laughs> <laughs> this is you, you've not led a boring life and throughout the oh. story at this point so 
you all this jumping, all this craziness, the 60s is going on, you're skydiving, you're doing all this different stuff. But you say you take a really long hiatus from skydiving. I assume that did life just get in the way or did you make a conscious decision to take a break? Well, um, it was an un, unwanted, unprepared break because what happened now, you have to remember, I started jumping when I was 20. Mm. And now I'm I'm married all of a sudden, you know, and we were both um, we were both 28 when I was married, I think. Mm. Or no, I was turning 28. He was already 28. So anyway, um, that a lot happened in that seven years or so for me anyway. And um, then when we got married, everything was fine. And of course, immediately I was pregnant. And so I wasn't jumping from that time until i was in the hospital had the baby mm-hmm. and he was supposed to go out and do a test jump because he was a test jumper for a pioneer okay when when we got married he was working already as, as they said in pioneer and so he was doing test jumping and i said well not today i'm in labor you know i said just call mr abramson and, and tell him that you know you have to take me to the hospital and the baby's on the way and I've already been in labor for 12 or 14 hours. So it's <laughs> eminent, you know. Right. And so he said, oh, no, I can't do that. They've got all these people planned. I said, how many people? He said, well, four of us. And I said, call him. And so he called and the guy said, go to the hospital. We'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. So anyway, tomorrow it rained. And so we, we, and I had the baby and everything, our first daughter. And um, the next day it rained. And the following day, my mother was coming in to Hartford and the plane to help with everything. And so Milan um, had to, he did the test jump that day. And he decided he could make sure he got it done and got to the airport and everything. If he landed this wing, it was a regala wing. If he landed it in the bowl at Orange instead of in the trees, he did 10 or 11 jumps in the trees. He had to land it because it was so unstable. Oh. This time it seemed a little better. So he was going to try to land it in the bowl, which he probably would have done, you know, in March or April or May. But in August, um, the heat was just incredible. Sure. And it was the thermals coming up off the runway as he crossed the runway. And it started oscillating forward and back because it was a wing. And it was going forward and back, forward and back. And he couldn't stop it. And so fortunately, the wind was still taking him across the runway towards the wall. And in the landing, he fell 90 feet through the canopy. Wow. Underneath his feet. (laughs) Wow. And they said they didn't think he was going to make it. So three years and 11 surgeries later, um, he said, we're not jumping anymore. We've got two little girls now. And, you know, he said, I don't want to take the risk. They saved my legs. They were going to amputate at one point. Sure. So he said, don't, you know, and he said, we'll just stay away from airports. Well, we did until the kids were in their teens. And then we bought an airplane. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody had to learn to fly again. (laughs) So now growing up, your kids, did they know all these stories? Did they know that mom and dad were kind of badasses? I think so, because we had a lot of badasses coming to our house from foreign countries. <laughs> They'd always say, who's sleeping in my bed tonight? <laughs> did they? I mean, do they know the stories of, I mean, you smuggled switchblades in Europe. Well, they didn't know that. That's <laughs> Do they know it? Do they know my it? My mom would never. Yeah, they'd say my mom would never do that. So are they going to learn that on the podcast? Please tell me yes. <laughs> Oh, well, they might. I don't know. I don't think they know much about that experience. Oh, that's you know? that's absolutely spectacular. So, I mean, you you obviously life gets in the way and, and uh, your husband gets injured, which will slow anybody down. But especially that kind of injury, you're talking about some severe stuff, but you guys yeah. get your you get yourself back in the air. So at least you're enjoying enjoying aviation. Yeah, we we were into play. Scuba diving was our big thing and aviation. You know, those two things that. You know, we felt comfortable in both atmospheres. So, sure. Now, what know, was the was... what was the big spark to get back in the air? Like, did the 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 fire ever go out, or did it spark back up? No, the fire never went out, and I always thought, well, 
you know, I really could go and, and keep jumping and just, you know, on the weekends down there and go out to the drop zone and everything. And when my oldest daughter turned 18, my husband took her down. I didn't even go that day. Took her down to make her first jump in Florida. And um, the, the other daughter, when she turned, she graduated high school and she was 17 and she went right into, um, uh, what's it called, FIT. Florida Institute of Technology okay. is to, to fly, you know? And so she got her, her, she was going to be a commercial pilot was what the intention was. So, because the other day she asked me, how come I didn't make my first jump when I was 18? How come Holly did? And I didn't, you know? And I said, well, you weren't home. You were flying airplanes. You know, <laughs> you were at school already. Cause she went the minute she graduated, she went up there and spent the summer and got her, her licenses and school started in the fall. So yeah, they they knew all about what we were doing and they they just figured this is the way everybody lives, you know. <laughs> they you know, my because her my husband wouldn't let anybody speak Croatian in our household and he wouldn't teach the kids Croatian. So basically they didn't know any foreign languages. Mm. And so I mean I did and he did, but they they were just english so when people came we could translate for them one time we went <laughs> one time we went to jamaica for a wedding and um his mother flew over from england without telling us and we were at the airport to get on the plane to jamaica and he said you know again mental telepathy he said i i don't know i said i just have a feeling that mom might show up and i said why do you think what she didn't say anything she would you know she's living in england so he went over and got on british airways and asked if there's any um anybody coming in with the name of nor k-n-o-r and they said oh they said well i can't tell you and she said i'm her son and this is that you know please you gotta right. tell me because i'm leaving the country right now and so they told him, yeah, they said her plane landed about half an hour ago. So we found her just getting into a taxi. <laughs> we so still made our flight. There's telepathy going through the whole family. I know. It's kind of weird. But meanwhile, some some Yugoslav people came from Germany. He was in, yeah, he was living in Germany. And they came to our house to visit. So we left the kids with that couple so that we could go to Jamaica. We had planned it to send them to friend's house, but they showed up. So I said, oh, well, the kids can stay home. Well, there and, you go. But they didn't speak English. So now grandma shows up and she speaks a recreation and English. So she, you know, <laughs> I said, I don't know how these things work out, but there's a plan up above that I don't understand. It, just, it was perfect. So yeah. your first jump back, you've decided, obviously, the fire never went out. Now you're deciding you're going to go jump again. What was the first jump back? Well, what, what, well, the reason I got back into it was because my husband died. Mm. Uh, you know, 30 years, we were married 30 years, and boom, that book was closed, and he had an aneurysm, left side of his brain, he's gone. And so I cleared out of Florida, and, you know, we all came to Colorado together. Mm. And I went to a reunion, you know, a pioneers reunion. Okay. And there was Jerry Borkman who was on the, uh, he was a golden knight. He was on the U S team with me in 62. Wow. And he said, why don't you come to just make one jump for your kid's sake? And I said, no, I said, I don't think they, and I said, I'll ask him, but I don't know. I don't think so. And he said, yeah. And he said, haven't you wanted to? I said, of course. I figured as soon as I could. He said, well, come on. He said, I said, I don't know anything about these new shoots, the squares or everything's different. Sure. And I said, I don't know. So anyway, he talked me into coming out and making that one job. It's like saying just eat one peanut, you know, <laughs> no more, just one. That's all you get. <laughs> so yeah. I am still at it. So, <laughs> but I've had interruptions, you know. Even though I started back in 2003, now we're 20 years later again, you know. Sure. And I have not been able to get my thousand jumps because of all these interruptions, like raising the grandchildren. I was a daycare center for their grandchildren because both my daughters worked in medicine. 
Oh, Rwanda was a veterinarian that she's just going into her 29th year of veterinary. If you ever saw that, um, let's see, which TV show was it that um, she was on for eight years? Oh, wow. Yeah, Animal Planet. And okay. It was emergency, emergency Vets was the name of the okay the cool program and she she was on that all the time and and then i got to tour with her as a babysitter you know and we had to go do her signings and stuff like that <laughs> so, oh wow <laughs> so i mean the reasons that you've taken breaks have been pretty interesting reasons no doubt yeah yeah they weren't just because because sure i didn't get tired of skydiving i was still not tired of skydiving sure well we had talked to um pre-podcast you had said that you've got a, a a specific goal in mind to celebrate your thousandth if you can uh crank through and, and get the jumps please tell me about that well right now we've been at first i was complaining what am i going to do for that thousandth jump and where am i going to go and where am i going to do it and so on and so on and so um the, the United States Parachute Association has been sponsoring and pushing and helping me, not pushing, but you know, I would say supporting me. Sure. And Sherry Witcher is a mover and a shaker, and she has really put this all into gear because I figured it was, I, I mean, I couldn't afford to do tandems, 400 tandems or whatever. Sure. So she, um, she started this program, you know, Rush for the Gold. And, and it's just been amazing. And I'm so excited because, you know, now Melissa is on board too. And, you know, so now I have USPA and the museum both on board trying to support me with this. And, um, and so I just, I just figured that maybe since Sherry started the whole thing out for me, my thousands jump should be at her drop zone and a big celebration because she's the one that put it all together and got it going. And she has a beautiful drop zone in Ohio. It's Air Ohio. So I'm, it's really a great place. And then we go immediately from there to Egypt to, to <laughs> jump in the pyramids. <laughs> That's going to be my present to myself, my reward. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, how spectacular. I've seen now for obviously a number of years, and I know many of the people that have gone and made the jump and, and some of the teams that have gone over there and stuff, and every one of them is just jaw on the floor. And as I said before the, the podcast, I've I've been lucky enough to fly over the pyramids and to, uh, to see the pyramids, but I've never jumped over the pyramids. So you're certainly going to have one over me. I haven't even seen them. <laughs> you know, I'm so excited and I've talked to three people who actually have jumped there. And one of them is a TI, a tandem instructor. And they said, yeah, you can do tandems. And he said, tell me when you want to go. And so that's, oh my gosh, I can hardly wait. <laughs> I bet. Well, I mean, it, it sounds to me like with everything that you've said and the stories that you've told me that, that a lot obviously has changed in the sport in regards to technology and the equipment and stuff. But it sounds like even though it's dramatically bigger, the community is still pretty similar. I, yes, you're absolutely right. The community, I mean, like you say, there's there's everybody from people living in the streets to multimillionaires that that are in skydiving and that doesn't matter what you did where you are whatever you know everybody has the same dna sure. they want to be up in the air flying like a bird whether it's an airplane or a parachute or whatever but i think parachutists have gone one step farther i don't want that machine around me i just want to fly like a bird by myself yep Yep. Well, there there and used to be a, what's happening. <laughs> there used to be a great T-shirt that said, "If you want to get it, if you want to learn how to fly, you need to get out of the plane." <laughs> Which is, I great. would like one of those. Yeah, yeah it really is. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's a great a cool saying. One. Yeah, I, that is. Honestly, my my favorite story though is the fact that you were basically rehooked up with your soon to be. Uh, defecting Yugoslavian husband by a CIA agent. <laughs> Everything in my life is like that. It's just crazy. Like, how did that happen? Or, you know, how did these doors just keep opening, you know? So, you know, I, I'm, everybody says, well, I don't know. When's, I don't know. When is said, the, oh, just take the jump, you know? When is the book coming out? That's what I want to know. You know, you have well, to write a book. 
I sold my house and three years ago now, three years ago, last July, this past July, and I was going to just sell my house. I don't need this big house. The kids are all gone, you know, so, and then I bought a little motorhome, 21 nice. foot motorhome that just fits in the, in the, you know, the Safeway or the Walmart parking lot, those lines that are there to park in. Sure. That's feet. So it, it's a really handy dandy and I can live in and I've got a king size bed and a full refrigerator and everything in that little tiny thing. And um, I was going to keep it for one year and go collect stuff for my book. You know, some of the old things back from the 60s that I, I just needed because it's going to be a nonfiction, a creative nonfiction. Sure. So that is important. So um, anyway, while I was doing that, I had so much fun meeting up with all these people and, you know, and making a tandem here and there. And I thought, you know, I think I'll do this a little bit longer. Sure. And then I got thinking, I don't know. Again, something happened in my head that said, well, you know, you can make that thousand jump. Damn right. You yeah, can. You can. You have a home that you're traveling in. You could make that. Th so I was at um, the, one of the museum events and I was talking to, uh, you know, several of the board of directors and stuff like that about here's what I really would love to do someday, but I think it can happen. And then Sherry Butcher, they said, go talk to Sherry Butcher. She makes everything happen. And she's sitting right over there. And I said, yeah. So I went over and talked to her and everybody was drinking. So I thought, ah, she won't remember this. <laughs> A year later, she said, are you ready to make these jumps? I'm on board now. <laughs> so it's fantastic. Well, I mean, if you think about it, um, even in, in, in my time in skydiving and I've been jumping for coming up on 29 years now, uh, during my time, we went from still being considered an extremely dangerous, extreme sport yeah. to being almost, almost ridiculously mainstream. And it's everywhere you see, there's an advertisement that has skydiving and base jumping and all this stuff. Right that has become so mainstream. And so having someone like you that's going out and, and hitting that golden wings and thousand jump mark is a huge boon for the sport. I mean, I, I actually just saw a post today from a member of a Facebook page called the Beginner Skydiving Forum, which I reference all the time. And it was Ooh. a gentleman talking about how amazing his first tandem was and that he's booked his AFF and it starts in a couple of days and that his only regret was he didn't find skydiving skydiving until 65 and every response that i saw was welcome to the club it's never too late get going you've got 30 years worth of jumping left in you thinking of someone like lou sanborn and all these amazing sure. guys that are jumping you know well into what would be considered the golden years and they're like hell no golden years i'm gonna go make some skydives well this is what i found in traveling across the country and going to all the drop zones and everything and these people have white hair, gray hair, whatever. And, and these you know, met a lot of people that I knew from back in my day. Yep. And um, they've done just like what I did is they're back into it again. Sure. You know, they took a break and did their, their whatever they had to do for their work and for their family and so forth. And now they're back into it. Not only that, but like you say, people starting in their 60s that are doing it. And so I said, that's why we have, we started out with pops, you know, the parachutists over 40 yep. and then it would, nothing happened in the fifties because we figured that was it, you know, yeah. doing the, starting at 40, you know, that's really it. And so 50 is nothing. And then all these people coming back in this. So they had to have SOS for the sixties and everything. And I'm a J O E that's jumpers over 80. Cause I'm 84 <laughs> now for heaven's sakes. <laughs> so spectacular. And there's a lot of JOEs. They just did a world record at the last uh, in Delan last year when we had the museum event there. And um, I think there were there were 14 of them, and they actually ended up making the world record with 12 JOEs. That's incredible, you know, though. 80. And now I mean, we have jumpers over 90. That's the Johns. <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly, I mean, it's, I, I know I've said it a, a ton of times on the podcast that skydiving is one of the few sports that you can continue to do dramatically later in life than a lot of other sports. And modern equipment has done a lot to make that possible. Obviously, it's a lot kinder to jumpers now than it used to be. But 
jumping actively and setting world records in your 80s jumping out of airplanes this is stuff that were just daydreams and daydreams. and yeah. now it's all it's being done and it's, it's, it's being the, done, yeah. the fact that it's not front page headlines astounds me because it should be yeah well i've been asked to um do some like this a podcast or to do an article or the People magazine, they're, they're saving some of the stuff they've been interviewing. They have one issue out already. And the last one, they, they said they, they're going to have a program about um, what do you do when you retire or something like that. And so that's going to be, you know, presented at that time. Sure. But, um, you know, one thing that I always think of, and this is just a little vision I have in my mind that, you know, when you're ready to go to the grave, my, my youngest grandson says, well, you're going to be 102. He's been saying that since he was six years old, you know, <laughs> 102. So he said, well, for your 100th birthday, they've all jumped with me my grandchildren and my children. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, they, he said, when you're 102, he said, for your 100th birthday, we're all going to get on the same load together and jump. They have to have a big plane because we're all going to do tandems together, unless <laughs> some of us are, you know, photographers or whatever. Sure. So anyway, um, I I said, well, wouldn't the greatest thing be, and in, in, in this is sort of like one of those dreams when you're half awake and half and I said, there's this thing about skidding, coming into your grave, skidding into your grave, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what that saying is about, you know, and they show a picture of a guy's just throwing dirt up as he skids into his grave, you know, they got it all <laughs> dug and ready for him. And I said, if you come in on a parachute, I wonder if they would put the parachute in with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I mean, that's like the, uh, um, what the one rock and roll song of the guy that gets buried in his Cadillac. Why couldn't you be buried with your equipment? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, my husband was buried with his dog. Well, there you go. What? Yeah. Because the dog, when he actually, when they disconnected him and everything and, and he was legally pronounced dead. Um, I had just been gone home because I had been up like 50 hours. And my daughter said, just go home and lay down until it's all over. And I said, OK. And this dog started howling, just just howling and crying and howling. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. I went out there and he wouldn't get up on his feet or anything. He wouldn't He wouldn't move. He would not get up. Wow. And so I called my daughter at the hospital and said, and she said, yeah, they just pronounced him dead. And I said, this dog listened to him. And, and she said, oh, my gosh. And so she came home and uh, she tried to get him up and she couldn't. So we had to lift him up, take him down to the vet and euthanize him. Wow. Because he was old anyway. He was just living for my husband. And wow. Well, there's, something, there's something kind of poetic about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's just amazing, you know, I mean, it, how these things happen. But I'll tell you what, I can't wait for your book to come out because I guarantee there's so many stories that I, I could do 10 podcasts with you and still not get a tenth of them. I have no doubt. <laughs> well, I'm trying to write them on cards so that I remember, you know, when I'm telling somebody else, oh, yeah, I remember that and write it down because uh, I figured when I get old, then I can you know, <laughs> write it, you know, maybe Kim, you're, not there. you're not there yet. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're not. I've got to get my thousand and go to the pyramids and do it. Yeah. So tell me, um, so everybody can follow along because I'm really going to be looking forward to watching as you continue on your journey to get the golden wings. And especially, I, I can't wait to see you in free fall over the pyramids. So how do people follow you? How do they find out what you're doing? How do they come out and say hello to you if you're at the drop zone? Um, what's well, your Facebook? The, um, my Facebook is, as um, I think it's Kim Emmons Nor is my Facebook. They can get me through that. Okay. And also, uh, every time we do something or every time I get, um, a news thing and so forth, I have a Facebook, uh, pioneers of sport parachuting. Okay. And they can go there and we usually post at least the videos and stuff on what it was, you know, not okay. necessarily the articles, but um, the place is really following as far as, I mean, I have a whole PR thing that USPA, USPA 
got involved and awesome. they have this and it, it's it's amazing every they want to know exactly where i'm going to jump you know at least a week in advance and so forth and they have the local press come out and awesome. we had uh, cbs colorado came out and they're going to be following along and it actually went national so if you look at cbs and and it's really funny i said well just look under cbs colorado and uh, there's the story about the 84 year old woman, blah, blah, blah. And it, and it pops up. That's spectacular. <laughs> you don't have to search very far. It just pops up. So. so people can find you either either by your personal page, Facebook, they can find you through the USPA who's tracking everything that you're doing, or they can literally just go on to CBS.com and go 84 year old skydiver looking for a thousand jobs. <laughs> so. awesome. Yeah, that, that's really funny. So no, um, that's I don't great. know, there might be more, more things that come out because that, uh, that was all I started in June in the Midwest. And now I'm doing Colorado and Utah and Arizona and then uh, California. Awesome. And then I have to come back and ski for a month in January. And then I go to Florida. <laughs> you, you really are a badass. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what my daughter says. She said, oh, there's my badass mom doing it again. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> and the best, the, the best part about a badass is they don't know it because that's just what they do. Yeah. <laughs> Kim, I'll just, tell you what. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to sit down. I, I, I wish we could get a ton more stories, but let's let's plan on a round two. Let's do this again down the road a little ways as you're getting closer to your mark or maybe after you've hit that mark, because I'd love to hear all the stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'll be great. You know, I, I'd love to do this at sort of like the end of next summer. Perfect. Count me in. I still won't be there yet. But I will have done East Coast and West Coast. And, oh, my gosh, I have people sending me stuff all the time. There's a gal named Jen Jones. I don't know if you know her. I don't know about her. But she's we got a whole thing that's coming up. Oh, my gosh, we're going to do this on. Um, let's see. We're going to do it on June 15th. Okay. At Niagara Falls. Oh, awesome. Yeah, and she's the TI, but this is going to be her last TI jump because that's her 62nd birthday. <laughs> and then she says, I'm not doing TI. Anymore. Is that exciting or what? That's incredible. <laughs> that's fantastic. That one, I'm definitely going to, we're going to have to do this again. End, next, yeah. end of next summer, we're absolutely sitting down for another one. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. <laughs> Perfect. Kim, again, I can't thank you so much. Have an amazing day, and I'm going to keep up thank on you. your journey. You too. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you so much. I love it. I love it. Bye-bye.